the pod, I'm Chris Stewart and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Now, due to unforeseen staff shortages, we lost a few this week to an unexpected zombie attack. I'm only joined by two colleagues. Two. Just two. So say hello to Empire Online's editor-in-chief, a man who, despite being arguably Empire's biggest fan of fantasy novels, and that's saying something when Helen O'Hara's on our staff, he has not read Stephen King's Dark Tower series. Now, we had this discussion yesterday, James Dyer. Should we have it again without swearing? You're still wrong. You're wrong. I, 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 I insist you cannot class The Dark Tower why not? as a fantasy series. Have you read it? I have not read it, but I will tell you why. Because in my reading around the subject, mm-hmm. uh, I believe you'll find it is an amalgamation of genres involving science fiction, fantasy, horror, and indeed Western. Therefore, cannot be construed as, strictly speaking, a fantasy series. You're an idiot. Have you also read The uh, Eyes of the Dragon? King's... I I, to be honest, the only, the only, only Stephen novel. King books I've read is It, and I didn't finish it. I was quite young at the time. Uh, I did read The Green Mile, and weirdly, Dolores Claiborne, I've read that, which uh, which is perhaps an odd choice. But I'm, I'm not a huge Stephen King fan. I, I think he's a fantastic writer, but I find him quite, um, not impenetrable, but he, he's, he's not the fastest paced writer. So would you call Naomi Novik's Temeraria series... Uh, not fantasy because it has uh, elements of Napoleon. It's historical war. fantasy, so yeah. it's a branch of some fantasy. But okay. what I'm saying uh-huh. is that the dark, pa- the dark tower is is, is is sort of pan genre, post genre, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while it incorporates fantasy elements, you can't really class it as a pure fantasy series. That said, I do rather want to read it. In fact, Clang. Sorry, that's a name I just dropped on the floor. When I was uh, hanging out with JJ Abrams at uh, oh, Bad Rebel recently, <laughs> we had a long talk about the Dark Tower actually. Because he um, really, and he, what did you say? I, did I, you, I told him. I said to him uh, when I was reading rubbish, the, uh, the Dark Tower. Yeah. No, um, he uh, he bought the rights obviously from Stephen King a while back. He was um, trying to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with Damon Lindelof is a massive fan, like a massive fan. Abrams not so much. I think he likes it, but I don't think he's like diehard fan. But Lindelof loves loves Stephen King, and uh, so when the rights were up, I think uh, JJ dropped Stephen online and said, "You know, can I get this? Bought them. They hung onto it for a while." Um, and I think Lost happened is really the reason it never happened. They uh, Lindelof got, got wound up in Lost and just didn't have time to take on what, let's be honest, would be a mammoth task mm. to try and adapt that. Uh, and ultimately they let it expire and obviously now it's it's uh, in development again. It's with Ron Howard. Indeed it is. Well, so. And JJ wishes Ron well. I'm sure he does. If it ever comes off, this idea that it'll be three films but two TV shows in between. Mm. So it's a huge commitment. Seven books, well, eight books now. Graphic novel series, all sorts of stuff, short stories. Yeah. It's massive. It's the comic, huge. I've got the comic actually at home. Huge. I was very tempted to read the comic, but there's a part of me that now feels that if I'm going to experience it, I really do need to read the books and not start with the comic. So I'll be a little torn if uh, if the films and, and TV shows come It's out. tricky as well because it's, it's it's a book very, very much that revolves, it's a centre of King's universe mm. in, in many, many ways, or universes, should I say. And so it probably means a lot more to people who really know King's work inside out. So there, there are characters from other books that, that flit in and out of the Dark Tower, including King himself at a, at a later date. So, so I hear. it's very, very interesting. It is fantasy. You're talking out of your arse, but that's enough of you. <laughs> We'll hear more from you later on, your J.J. Abrams love fest, um, because now we're going to say hello to our street smart, hip, up to the minute, side guy surfer. It's Ali Plum, everybody. Uh, Ali, what are the hepcats listening to these days in her gramophone studio? I just got this great new wax cylinder from the guys from uh, <laughs> somewhere out in a quadrant you may have heard of, Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes. They've got a great new lick coming out. Oh, I love that. Uh, there's only three of us, but we're going to try and tackle your questions this week as if we were four. Uh, never tell us the odds, etc., etc., etc. So, at Nathaniel Smith asks on Twitter, in case you were wondering if it's a man who walks around calling himself at, uh, I felt remarkably soothed by Danny Boyle's Northern Brogue last podcast and the Danny Boyle podcast special, which is still available in all good podcast shores. Um, which directors have the best voices? That's Nathaniel Smith's question. Which directors have the best voices? Now, and then, 
he and several people continue to have a conversation about this on Twitter and uh, what did the, they say? the what name they Werner suggest? Herzog came up that's not a bad shout I'm not sure that he's got it's not a soothing voice it can be quite soothing it's the Zek I can't no I can't uh, I can't say that I would be soothed by old Werner's uh, dulcet tones no he, 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 it's, he soothes you he soothes you I, I, uh, sorry clang uh, when I was interviewing <laughs> Werner Herzog uh, for the Jack Reacher chunk, a clang. There's no one. <laughs> Is Jack Reacher a name? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a 20 minute one on one with him, and I was terrified because it's Werner Herzog, and he could be shot at at any second, as you know, or try and drag a boat over a mountain, or do any of the crazy stuff that he, he tends to do. And uh, but he he and he's got these chilling eyes that looks at you. And he's very much like the sec, but he's such a lovely guy, and I think he's he lures people in. He's like the siren. He lures people in with his voice. And then shivs him in the back yeah. 16 times probably. But that didn't happen in our one-on-one. No, it happened in your roundtable. It yeah. happened in the roundtable. Three journalists dead. I've got um, three correct answers to this. Oh, good, good. Like uh, Laurence Olivier. Also, oh, you can't do that. Yes, you can. You can't do coming. I'm about to say Orson Welles. And he is also an actor, but you can't not let me have Orson Welles. I can, no, I'm not letting you have Orson Welles. What? He's an actor. So no Clint Eastwood. No, Clint Eastwood. No. Yeah. See, I was going to go. This with is like Clint fit Eastwood. directors. It's the same thing with fit directors. We don't. We we don't allow directors who are actors before or at the same they time. They can't cross the divide. Blah, blah blah. Don't cross the streams. So mm. no, you can't have. All right. This definitely means that Martin Sheen, who directed one movie in 1990 called Cadence, with both of the most famous sons of his, dear, oh dear, counts dear. for this. But I would, reaching on. I would love to hear him. Ramon Estevez was in Cadence. Yeah. That's amazing. That is quite amazing. Um, also, not director, not even claiming he is, but I would love to hear an audiobook read entirely by Sam Elliott. Oh, Sam Elliott is phenomenal. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. But be there are so cool. many actors with great voices. It's, it's a completely different thing, isn't it? I mean, having a truly great voice. I mean, Morgan Freeman has an amazing voice. James Earl Jones obviously has a godlike voice. Mm-hmm. Brian Blessed, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are great people. They yeah, should... Not directors, though, James. Yes, they? none of them are directors. Yeah. I've gone off piece. Fundamental flaw in your yeah. plan there. Roy Dotrice. I love Roy Dotrice's voice. Again, not a director. Do you understand the question? I told you I've gone off piece. <laughs> you have gone off piece. Yeah. <laughs> For the second time in the podcast. Yeah, sorry. You're talking out of your arse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, it's, it's, uh, this is a quite tricky question, really, isn't it? I mean, I can't really think of anyone, any directors so I, I could fall asleep to, listen to an audiobook. Steven Spielberg has a, has a nice one. I remember when mm-hmm. I, clang, when I had uh, the issue meeting with Steven, when we sat around the table discussing the uh, 20th birthday issue, I was very taken with his, uh, <laughs> with his voice. Wow. This is, this is unofficially going to be subtitled The Clangers. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I imagine, I've never heard uh, audio tapes of Sam Peckinpah, but I imagine he had an amazing voice. Deep and gravelly and growling, and probably swigging whiskey and chewing on bullets, that sort of thing. I imagine he had a, an amazing voice. I reckon, I reckon he sounded like Baz Luhrmann. You have to discount John Huston, don't you, because of the whole acting thing. Baz Luhrmann? Mm. You think he's got a great voice? <laughs> yes, I do. You're trying to get me to do my Baz Luhrmann? I am trying to get you to do it's your Baz Luhrmann. Go on, do it. It's do not it. happening. Do it. It's not happening. <laughs> it's probably actionable, so it Chris, might be Chris, I'm yes. mad about your Baz Luhrmann impression. Oh, uh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> no, not doing it. I'm not doing it. Uh, I'm just looking down at a list of other directors here. I like Roland Emmerich's voice. Again, so do people, I. People who have so you know, nice, soothing Germanic accents. Mm. You know, that's, yeah. that's quite cool. Danny Boyle has a great voice. He does have a great voice. I'm not saying it's a great voice, but I enjoy mm. hearing it. It's Hitch. Uh, he, he, when he oh, does his yeah. speeches, does, does, a good, does a good voice. But then again, you know, he appears in a lot of his adverts and his marketing. So people kind of do know his voice. You wouldn't have to kind of look it up. Hitch. Good call. Thanks. Good call on Hitch. Richard Donner's got a good voice as well. William Friedkin 
has an amazing voice, this loud, booming Chicago accent, a bit like Michael Mann as well. So I'd, I'd quite happily listen to William Friedkin's auto book tape thing. And you can listen to his podcast. You can indeed, which is pretty much like listening to his autobiography. But a much lovely segue. Version. Thank you. Thank you. That That's was good. good. All right. So Nathaniel Smith, once again, we failed you. But yeah, just basically take Danny Boyle and Werner Herzog and, and you're sorted. And Besto76 asks, what would happen if an embargo was broken? Do you just get a slap in the wrists? Hmm. Well, why do you think there's only three of us in the podcast? Let's just say Helen broke an embargo and she hasn't been seen for two weeks. The official story is she's tour guiding around Europe for two weeks. But uh, somehow I think that's a bit of a cover up. I don't know. I don't. Have we ever broken an embargo? Oh yeah, loads of times. Yeah, loads of times. Mm-hmm. What's happened? Lives were lost. Lives were lost. It's not a very interesting answer. Uh, you get told off, really. I don't think we've been sued. I don't know. Has anyone ever been sued for breaking an embargo? I always wonder what will happen if an actor uh, broke an NDA. You know, you know, if you're, yeah. if you're on Avengers or you're on something that's you know, Transformers Four, for example, and then three months into filming, when you've shot a whole bunch of scenes, and you, you know. Why can't you then just blurt out that, oh, yeah, Optimus Prime gets killed in this movie, and, uh, yeah, he turns into a vampire and stuff. What would happen to you? What's the worst that could happen to you? They, they can't get fire back. you. They I can't mean, go back and you reshoot when, all your scenes. Or can they? Yeah, well, you remember when uh, Lighthammer from uh, from Blade 2, what was his name? Daz Crawford. Very good. When I'm Daz, very good on my Blade 2 cast. Yes, names. when Daz came in and uh, and gave us his digital camera. With all of his pictures from the set yes, of Blade 2 on yes, it, including behind-the-scenes video of all the animatronics <laughs> and right. some other behind-the-scenes video, which I'm fairly certain he didn't realise was still on the camera. <laughs> Less said about that, the better. Uh, but he gave us all that stuff, and you know, clearly just had no clue that he probably wasn't supposed to Indeed. give out B-roll footage he, of the no, film. he didn't. Before yeah. it was released. Precisely. Uh, bless him. Indeed. And I should say, pertaining to the other footage that was on the camera, yeah. uh, Lighthammer was perhaps not the right name for his character. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> At the Wet Noodle asks, who on earth thought Grown Ups 2 would be a good idea? Well, presumably Adam Sattler's accountant, Chris Rock's yes, accountant, David Spade's accountant. Didn't it make, what, $270 million, the first it, one? Yeah, a depressing amount of money. And apparently uh, Adam Sattler then bought all his cast members. and Bought all his cast members? Uh, yeah. His, his, he, he purchased them all? No, he bought them all. Let me finish my sentence. <laughs> uh, he bought them all expensive cars and they just turned up in their driveways. So at least something good came out of Grown Ups, I guess, for someone. Doesn't uh, have but an empire, poor doesn't Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider is not back in this movie and if you look at the trailer he's been airbrushed out of grown ups history he goes do you remember the time when they had the time of their lives and you hated every second of it but anyway never mind that they're back again hooray and they show footage from the first film and <laughs> Rob Schneider's not in any of the clips he's not even in the background of any of the shots what happened man Poor you Rob. can do it you can do it apparently you can't do it he can't do he it can do he's it not allowed night. to no. do it he's not allowed I, I hope he does turn up at the end He's replaced by, uh, well, not replaced by directly, but the new cast members of this film include mm. Taylor Lautner as a jock. Great casting, but yeah. it's very weird because essentially the plot of Grown Ups 2, the trailer came out this week, sees four young jocks led by Taylor Lautner squaring off against the older folk, i.e. Sandler and co., uh, and the big pièce de résistance, aside from a reindeer pissing on Sandler's face in bed. So that's a joke. Uh, yeah. Is the four guys, the four main members of the croup, uh, leaping naked off a cliff. Then, oh, I can't believe I'm saying this, Kevin James uh, jumps onto the head whilst he's bobbing in the water of Spade and and, and Spade's head goes up James's ass. So that is, wow. that is a... Um, that's that's uh, that's the thing that happened. Do you not remember the scene from Hancock where someone's head gets physically inserted into someone else's? I don't else's remember. Anus? I don't remember anything. From Might Hancock. have been on the DVD. I don't remember. <laughs> no, no, it is, it is a scene of the film. But let's just leave this entire. thing I remember going into it, the cinema to see Hancock, and I remember leaving the cinema, 
I'm sure something happened in between, yeah. but I don't remember any of it. Sorry. No, it, it, it did happen. But it's funny, Grown Ups 2 is, is a film that I think we can unreservedly and unashamedly <laughs> say, <laughs> oh, oh, we can't wait to not see it. It's, <laughs> the, the, first, the first film was viewed by Nick in, in a very scathing fashion and, you know, with good reason. It's honestly a, a shame that it exists. Grown Ups 2, I mean, obviously they're going to make it, but... This is the first sequel Sanders done, which is a big surprise to me, because he doesn't want to do Happy Gilmore 2, you know, he doesn't want to do, you know, You Don't Mess With a Sohan Again. You know, some of the characters who've actually made something of an impact uh, over the last few years. Um, and Adam Sandler films I don't mind watching, but this movie was torture for me. It was basically like watching, and this has obviously been said before, but like four guys, five guys per Rob Schneider, uh, going off shooting some dreadfully unfunny home videos and sent it off to Harry Hill and somehow getting this ditched into a movie. Uh, it's just, it, it, yeah, it's really, 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 really bad. But it is, it's all to say, I mean, what you've just described could easily be applied to a number of Judd Apatow films, I mean, if you, if you don't like that kind of thing. Well, I think... But I think, they, uh, they happen to be funnier. I think Liz is 40 has, the, uh, has a similar aspect, yeah. and as you know, uh, anyone who's listened to the podcast in the past will know I'm not a fan of Liz is 40, but anyway, let's move on, shall we? Uh, at Labeled Indie Pod asks, During set visits, which big movie spoilers have you witnessed and struggled to keep under your hat? Now, James... I sense a clang coming. Yeah, you were on set of... Empire Strikes Back. I was as a kid. Yes. Uh, did you sense even back then that Darth was Luke's father? Yes, yes. It was. It was written on the script in the top. It just Darth. It, it wasn't even Vader. All his lines just said "Dad colon." <laughs> and then the line. It was, which Star I thought was unnecessary. I didn't really think they needed to give it away. That obviously, but uh, yeah. they did. Have you seen anything? You don't get to see many sets, do you? Because you're I, 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 I'm chained to my yeah. suit and my desk. Uh, so you've been on recently. You've been on well, Avatar. Avatar. I knew everything about Avatar. When everything. I was on Did you know everything, everything about Every, Avatar? Everything about Avatar. All right. I think we're going to get the spoiler territory here. So if you haven't seen any films, then skip the next <laughs> five or ten minutes because we're going to get heavy spoilers. Okay. So did you know, for example, uh, Sigourney Weaver got killed in it? No, because in the script she didn't. Ah. That's the thing that changed. Because bear in mind, the script involved. To be fair, I knew a lot about it, but then anyone who'd been on the internet and read the script, which had been <laughs> out for several years, knew the nuts and bolts of that film. So that wasn't that wasn't a huge thing. Okay. Um, I mean, a, we, a we're sitting on now a, a multitude of Star Trek spoilers, which we uh, mm-hmm. would have to redact. And I think uh, my close personal friend, yeah. J. Abrams, would going uh, back to the uh, embargo situation. There, you know, <laughs> well, I, I think it wouldn't be just a mild telling off. I think people would actually come. Oh yeah, eviscerate with, us. with with machetes. Yeah, but they probably get those little bug things from Wrath of Khan and stick them in our ears. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. Yeah, I'm actually almost certain they would do that now. They would. They have the technology. Recently I went to see Utopia. I went to the set of Utopia which is a TV show for Channel 4 which is a TV show about conspiracies. So I went to that knowing well this is going to be a difficult one to write about for starters. It was then the last day of shooting and all the big reveals were on the last day of shooting so I had to write about it (laughs) without writing about it. It was an extraordinary feat of Gymnastics, almost. This is something that's happening more and more often. I think that uh, for some reason, set visits are scheduled uh, for scenes to take place late in the day. For example, and I won't give away any spoilers, but my visit to Kickass Two recently was the last shot of the movie, pretty much. So, I mean, you had the comic books out there already. So, yeah. if you want to see who lives and dies, because the the films could be pretty faithful, you can check out the comic book. Um, but yeah. So, you know, the surviving well, heroes was, were there. Um, and uh, on The Losers, it was also pretty much the, 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 the very, very last scene. Uh, when I was on Thor, actually, it was the scene where the destroyer has invaded and is attacking the town. Uh, which is quite <laughs> difficult to describe, really, without talking about it, because that's one of the, the later reveals in the film. But It's interesting, because you, you do pick up a lot of stuff when you're on set. I mean, you know, Prometheus 
I knew a lot about Prometheus, but I didn't did, know did, everything. Did they know a lot about them. Uh, they, they seem to know. They seem to be, you know, they seem to be fairly on top of things. <laughs> I knew things like, you know, I, for example, Nimi Replace comes in for, for an interview and she goes, yeah, so basically, one of the first things she says, yeah, at the end, it's only me and David's head. <laughs> okay, okay, thanks very much. I won't be leading with that in my, in my interview. And I spoke to Charlize Theron on the phone. And... Um, about it, and then we like, you know, obviously you can't say a lot about it in this movie. Uh, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. People come and kill us, so and so forth. And then she goes, yeah. So, um, uh, so in both this and Snow White and the Huntsman, God, I both play kind of bitches who get killed later on. She goes, oh no, I didn't say that, did I? Is it? Yeah, I had, yeah, sorry. But we, I sorry, mean, Charlize, we, I had a feeling you weren't going to make it through Prometheus. We have to take a certain responsibility, you know, to our to our <laughs> readers to just sort of like suck this stuff up and, yeah. and not pass it on. I mean, yeah. when I was hanging out with Arnold Schwarzenegger, oh, bang, come on, uh, he he ruined. <laughs> Basically, every film he's going to be working on for the next five years. I think I think I mentioned it in the feature. He ruined Breacher for me. Uh, ruined a number of other things as well, uh, or ten, I should call it, as it's called ten, now. Yeah. So yeah, th- thanks, Arnold. That, that's great. I won't be going to see that now. Uh, one of my favourite uh, spoilers, uh, and I stumbled upon this, was when I was uh, on X Men First Class, and knew a fair bit about what happened in X Men First Class. So I went to the edit suite uh, in LA to. Uh, to interview Matthew Fawn. Is that Clang? Is that what is it called? Not really, no. And Eddie Hamilton, who listens, who's an editor who listens to the podcast. Hello, Eddie, how's it going? Uh, what, and, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. An editor listens to this? Yes. I better up my game. You yeah. better up your game, yeah. Eddie, are you available? Could you send notes in, Eddie, <laughs> yeah. to, help, to help Ali improve? What are your freelance rates? Um, <laughs> Please. Can we have you as a guest editor? That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, that would edit be really next good. Week's podcast. In fact, and do a really good job. Just come in and do the podcast with us, Eddie. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Uh, but so I, I walked into uh, Eddie's edit tweet. Uh, or the Eddie suite, I guess, uh, to uh, interview Matthew Fawn. And there, on the massive monitor they have that are editing film on, was Hugh Jackman <laughs> as Wolverine in his cameo. And, of course, I've been told there was categorically no Hugh Jackman, no Wolverine in this film, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I went, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so Hugh Jackman's in the film. Get it off! Get it off! <laughs> Which button? Which button? Yeah, that was quite fun. You walked in and they just went, fuck off. <laughs> Amazing. Most people do that when I walk into a room, it has to be said. Okay, as usual, you can contact us on Twitter. We're at, at Empire Magazine. The hashtag is Empire Podcast. We're on Facebook, Empire Magazine. You can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. Interview time now. Rufus Sewell is one of the best actors in Britain who's been the star of an eclectic collection of films, including Dark City, The Great Dark City. If you haven't seen it, do check it out. The Holiday and Night's Tale. And now this week's All Things to All Men alongside Gabriel Byrne. He came in to talk to Ali and Phil Dissemlian and was, by all accounts, an absolute delight. But listen out in this interview for a very important apology. We are incredibly thrilled to have in the Empire podcast booth uh, Rufus Sewell. Thank you very much for coming in and talking to us this My morning. My pleasure. It's kind of early and you were on stage last night. so <laughs> Yeah, but it's not a long play. It's only 90 minutes long, 83 minutes long. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go on about how tired I am. I'm at home by 9.30. Really? Nice. Yeah. I mean, if I indeed go home and not out on a riotous night out. Have you ever had that experience on a film set where you're like, I'm really jealous of some of the dialogue that my... Always, I always, I live in resentment of other people's parts and dialogue. Yes, that's just my base state. Perfect. We love acrimony and bitterness in this podcast. <laughs> I just seethe. Do you ever feel a bit of that in the Night's Tale? Because yes. I was Night's Tale going. was the worst. They, I was like, it was the most fun job ever, and there were all these lads having the time of their lives. And then on the opposite end of the field was I in my black armor, which absorbs heat. And it was 100 degrees. We were going out together at night, but we would have to... I'd have to experience my hangover on my own. <laughs> on my own horse. Cooking. So, yes, no, I did. And also, when I read the script, I remember thinking, 
oh, Chaucer, that's a good role. And then, oh, it's cast. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, Paul. <laughs> so immediately he was in the doghouse. But, you know. <laughs> He luckily, was naked. Luckily, though. he was very. Yes, he did. He did have to get his bum out, which I suppose you know evened it out slightly. Now uh, I've got to ask you a question, which is quite personal to me. Uh, but you appear in the holiday, and I, I think you should be aware that many, many men across the country, and I think across the world, I think forced is too strong. No, but are encouraged to watch this film yes, at know. Christmas. Yes, compelled. Compelled. Yeah. Yes. Do you? Do I'm you, sorry. Yeah. I was wondering if you, <laughs> do you feel any guilt? I was wondering if you felt any guilt about that because it's it's when when you do a Christmas movie, you know what you're doing. You're yeah. becoming part of Christmas. The canon. <laughs> yes. I you're know, part of I Christmas know. No, but you see, one of the advantages of being in it is that my girlfriend is not going to force me to watch it. So I by being in that film, I exclude myself Amazing. from that club. It's Amazing. one of the only things one of the only men- measures that one can take know to thine enemy. avoid <laughs> being forced to watch the holiday I, is to be in the fucker so, sorry to excuse my I have language. to go back in time to avoid watching the holiday I have to go back in time and appear in the holiday yeah that's the, probably one of the best ways of doing it <laughs> on that wonderful part of the internet known as YouTube yes there is something called Rufus Sewell's All Faces I know I've, someone sent me that <laughs> and I'm not I, I will link to this the, in the morphing podcast. the morphing face it is your face with, the, with just the telltale <laughs> poppy eyeball just matched all the way through thank you thank you yes it's an extraordinary thing just to just to reinforce what it is it is kind of the same googly eyes with all the other features kind of but yes I know I'm well familiar with it it's the strangest thing honestly I think it's impressive and what it makes me realise is that you must have the best uh, skincare regimen in the whole world because you don't look like you've aged a day over the court. Thank you, dear. Oh, you guys. Darling. Stop it. Get a room. Honestly, it's like 20 years just go. Do you know what that is? That's going straight home after the play, does that? (laughs) Straight home. (laughs) Anyway. To where I keep my crack. Which obviously is great for the eyes. Um, Anyway, so yes, do check that out if you have a spare minute. (laughs) Rufus Sewell's All Faces. A semi-serious question. One of the words that gets associated with you down has been associated with you down the down the years which you don't see associated with many people is rakish and i was <laughs> hoping to make this the year i became slightly more rakish from a very low base yes do you have any tips for rakishness um do what i do just parade up and down burlington arcade with a cane <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's that, the tip that's... That, what's the difference between rakish and foppish in that case I, I'm not sure because when either they use the word rakish for me or it doesn't matter what part I'm playing I remember I really years ago before I just thought oh fuck it I thought okay I'll play this Dublin working class bus driver in this film with Albert Finney called A Man of No Importance I thought you know and then I found it's not even the newspapers that you're in. It's your own publicity department because on the back of the DVD it says and Albert Finney falls for his rakish bus driver I thought what? It didn't say rakish and the, what is that? So in the end, I just thought, oh, look at him driving that bus through Burlington <laughs> Arcade. <laughs> yes, exactly. Swinging with a cane it. out the window. Yes, cane out the cane, hanging over the window with his scarf blowing in the wind. <laughs> Hercules. Yes. Guy liner back in back on the well, cards. I'm going to try to squeeze a little in, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Now we've obviously Ali and I have been doing a lot of Ovid studying to yeah. re- prepare for this uh, interview, course, yeah. as I'm sure you have yeah, probably yeah. gone through. You're playing Autolycus. Autolycus. 
who is described as rakishly as a thief. <laughs> well, he will be now. <laughs> yes, the Byronic Autolycus. Um, no, I mean, there's been different Autolycuses and different things. He's not a thief. I think, you know, in Xena, or in Hercules the TV, yeah. he was played by Bruce Campbell, and that was really fantastic, but it was a different character, you know. You're not going to be channeling Bruce. No, well, if I can, obviously I'm going to do a bit. That's no mean thing. But, um, no, Autolycus is basically the guy who went was in the army an orphan like Hercules and um, they they grew up in the streets together they joined the army together and they're like you know buddies so he's his best mate really um, but he's he's a bit of a cynic it's, it's a cool part and for me to be in a film this big and not to be like the twat on a horse is well I will be a twat on a horse but a kind of not the bad guy twat on a horse <laughs> I, want to get, I want to go back to Hercules but you use the phrase twat on a horse but you are on the horse a lot yes are you glad you learned to ride at some point? How did this... No, I learned to ride by people putting me on horses for... You know, I didn't I couldn't ride before someone said, we need a twat, here's a horse. That's how I learned. You know, um, it'd be the same with... It was the same with the Range Rover for all things to all men, you know. Um, so, yes, it just... That would seem to be the requirements of the jobs that come my way. I would like, you know, to be... Um, well-versed in driving all manner of... <laughs> not animals, but, you know. And, and have you been in the same room as The Rock? Not yet. I know people that know him. Apparently, he's very nice, but he's massive. I, I will warn you, he's one of the most embarrassingly nice men in the world, but he is beyond belief huge. I, I honestly, like... Well, that's what I've already said this. My, you know, people say you're going to work out. Yes, but to what end? <laughs> really? I mean, you know... Just to make friends. I'm going to look together. like Batmite or something <laughs> next to him. You if know. you want to get to the road, you have to go to the gym and spot for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't worry. I got you. I got you, Dwayne. Yes, he does. Uh, we follow him on Twitter. I think he got up this morning about twenty minutes before he went to bed and started moving trees around a wood. So yeah. in prep prepare. for his <laughs> film that he's doing with for me, working with you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And said, did he say in prep for my latest Sewell film? Did he say that? I think he might have hashtagged I, you. Yes, <laughs> he should have. He really, really should. Uh, you, I haven't heard them myself, but I gather you've done plenty of Bond audio book i did them all in one go oh, really? years and years ago i think i've been usurped in my bondery but there was a period when yeah if you got one it was me i did all of them that's a hell of a day wow. <laughs> yeah especially if you're doing a play in the night which i was then i think i was doing luther so this is years ago and i did i did all of them yeah and have you seen skyfall and what did you make of it As oh you i are, loved skyfall you're well versed yeah oh yeah and no, skyfall's awesome yeah fantastic film for me, and also embarrassingly, um, quite a lot of my female friends, you should have been Bond at some point. Really? Well, the problem is, I'm now just the right age to be doing my fifth Bond. <laughs> 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 but certainly not my first. Well, I always consider myself to be, you know, pretty good, maybe bad guy material or 008 or something like that. And I, mm. I still am, but I've never really got anywhere near it. But now as I'm a little older... Um, yeah, no, I'd never really wanted to play Bond, actually. Now, of course, now it's too late. I think, oh, yeah. <laughs> but at the time, it was never really... I always thought myself more as a character actor, you know, that I was a little too kind of irregular. Irregular. Yeah. You do get some great tough guy moments early, early doors in this. One where someone pulls a knife on you, and I think you do pretty much the... A knife? <laughs> you know, what yeah. you guys? I'll take it and I'll shove it right up your nose. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you disarm him whilst, like, filing your nails. Yeah. <laughs> That's this, pretty cool. This film is... Um, recently, there's been a spate of films where I'm going, 
it's that place and then there's that place and we go to there and you go to there yes yes I, it seemed like not had... quite to the extent that you're continually going past <clears throat> you know a red post box and a beef eater no no, no 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 it's not but there. not quite the Hugh Grant film kind of <clears throat> you know <laughs> run round the run round to the corner shop past Buckingham Palace kind of thing <laughs> no <laughs> I love those moments when you go, if you've ever been to Soho, that just doesn't happen like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. When you, you know, have to get your tube map out in the middle of the screen, you go, what? That's the central line. You normally trip over a tramp right there. That's yeah, just not exactly. true. Uh, but Skid no. on the piss all the way to Buckingham Palace. <laughs> There's an amazing shot of um, Bassey Power Station, which yeah. is... I think has been used before as the kind of rock a place where, you, roller, where bad it? things yeah, happen. Yeah. And obviously now it's going to be developed into into new housing and yeah. uh, regenerated so I guess there's going to be bad guys going to where are they going to take people <laughs> exactly I don't, I, I don't know where I'm going to have my shoot off so no know. I don't know it's, it's a tough one but I'm going to, I'm going to find another outside place. Hounslow PC world good shot I'll meet you there at 8 <laughs> it's midnight isn't it <laughs> yeah it's a bit uh, early yeah, go getting old <laughs> <laughs> so you know you've, you've been a bad guy many times have you counted how many times you've died on screen um, quite a few times. I mean, I've died on my own personal train more than once. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> How many people can say that? Only once tied to the front by my own cravat. Well, that's the thing to say you've done once yeah. in your life. Oh, well, this is my best bad guy death. This was in Zorro. Tied by my own cravat to the cow thing on the front of my own train filled with nitroglycerin as it smashes into a cliff. <laughs> That's amazing. That's, that is. That is amazing. I mean, if you're going to go, yeah. bad guy wise, that, that reminds screaming me of, in a French accent. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It reminds me of... Subtle. Just, you know, sure, just subtle. Sure. It's refined. It is in there if you look. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Bean talked about his death in Patriot Games where he drowns, gets an, a... a um, what do they call anchor in the in their brain? And I think he gets shot as well. And I think the studio executive just wanted to make sure people realised he was dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just in case there's any nuance or room for kind yeah. of you know confusion. No fear of nuance. In no. <laughs> um, have you been in a movie where you really had no idea how it was going to end up at all? And yes. I'm thinking of the tourist in particular because I imagine with that film, a lot of it's in the edit and a lot of it's in 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 some of the sort of choices in post-production as well as the acting and the story did you not so much with the tourist <clears throat> not so much with the tourist I mean you know I accepted that role when I spoke to the director who called me and I'd seen The Lives of Others and he said I directed a film called The Lives of Others have you seen it I said yes <laughs> and he said because it's a brilliant film and then he said alright well I'm doing this film it's with Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp I said yes and he said I, it's not written yet but would you like to play this kind of really, really cool character and I said yes so from there you can't really guess what's going to happen you know the kind of slight strange thing it ended up being you know what the in terms of not knowing how something is going to turn out, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter was far more a case of that because they started off with a very good script and then decided to um, pull it apart and rewrite it from day one. What, on the set? Yeah. So I didn't know whether my character was going <clears> to <throat> die at the end or survive <laughs> from day to day. And I didn't know until we got to the end of filming. And if I was going to die, who was going to kill me? Because they were trying to think in terms of possible franchises and stuff like that which I personally think is a mistake I mean there are a lot of really brilliant people involved in it and you know and the director who I loved and you know really nice people it's just working in that kind of executive environment mm. 
when it you know it, it I found it quite confusing death by committee but how does yeah. that level of bureaucracy fit into the fact that it takes so long to get a film financed and made and, and the green light given to the the point where you're on set shooting and the, you haven't finished the film the story hasn't been well I don't finished. know I mean it's proof of the puddings in the eating I suppose because you know <clears throat> I, if a film like that turns out to be a success then those methods get you know does that work Is that, I, I think it has to a certain extent in the past like the film they did before you know it just in this case it was quite worrying because I, I couldn't quite know how to pitch what I was doing you know but it was a very interesting way of working and but, and we were all deeply confused but I know people have been in films and have been deeply confused and the films turned out to be a hit you know or turned out even, like, can to, you name, or even to be good can you name can well you I certainly know that from people who do did brilliant HBO series and stuff like that day to day that it was nightmarish they, they were getting sized but you know but an HBO series is obviously a different kind of thing but one hears enough of that to kind of think oh well maybe you know a and good, so in this particular case it turned out to be slightly confused a good example of that happening and I, I'm not obsessed with it honestly is Iron Man that didn't have a script and it was constantly being changed that's what worked. I mean and that worked and that worked and it's a very good film so it's I enjoy a, very much it's, so it's not necessarily a, a sign of you know I mean as far as I'm concerned you know Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is kind of a romp and kind of fun but not quite as much fun as it should have been perhaps mm. but you know um, and I wish I'd been able to do more but you know, I got <clears throat> there were things for me in the film that hadn't been there, so I, there were gains for me in terms of scenes. But it just means you can't quite plan it in the same way. And sometimes, as you say, that works, mm -hmm. you know, brilliantly. And yeah. with a film like The Tourist, I guess it's it, it's probably the hardest tone to nail in a film, anyway. You know, well, and, I would say that that kind of Stanley Donan style yes. is the holy grail. Mm. And in terms of a sense of humour and wit and panache and danger, it's such a difficult thing to get right. Yeah, trying to make North by Northwest, you exactly. realise how yeah. good how yeah. yeah. Court case, yeah. In, exactly he does we have to let you go reasonably soon but I wanted to ask you have a Booker Prize adaptation in, in the works as well in John yes, Banfield's The Sea right, which yeah. has assembled a great cast mm -hmm. um, Sinead Kuzak Kieran Hines that's right the, Bonnie Wright Bonnie Wright yes. Natasha McElhern you know Charlotte Rampling. Ooh, oh that's yeah. alright isn't it yeah it's fantastic and it's a wonderful book and yes. a wonderful script John Banfield did the script as well and Stephen Brown first time director <clears throat> um and he basically approached a, a few of us three, three, four years ago and just said, are you interested? And I said, yes, because the part was great and the script was great and I liked him. And and basically it took three years for him to suddenly get the money together and, and it happened and we were all available. So we did it. So it was six weeks filming in Wexford. And who knows what it's going to be like. I mean, it was, you know, a wonderful experience, you know, and the kind of thing. I mean, to tell you the truth, I would happily do small independent films in this country and nothing else but I've ended up ironically enough being in big kind of weird American films because I have that's why it's been so exciting for me to be in a London film because I just haven't had the chance sure. in years you know you can finish your foot chase at near your house <laughs> you <laughs> go straight exactly. home yes. I'll just give a keep going <laughs> come back I haven't finished yet but anyway thank you very much for coming in right. it's been it's been a lot of fun thank you it's been rakish alright I'll just I'll go and grab my cane and I'll be off <laughs> okay <laughs> right thank you very much thank you lovely chap was he Nice guy. I really did like his company a lot. I, I, honest, I, I would happily have had a couple more coffees with him. He likes a soy latte, if anyone's interested. Does he? Rufus Hill likes a soy latte. Yeah. That's the thing we've learned. Ali, what do you like? Uh, I like a, um, a, 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 a soy latte, because he likes it. Okay, grand. If more actors who've been involved in Nancy Mayer's films are listening to this and would like to issue formal apologies for any of her wretched work, then by all <laughs> means, uh, do send in to us podcast at Emperor Online. We'll read it out in the air next week. <laughs> I'm not a fan. 
Anyway, uh, what's next? Oh, yes, movie news. I think maybe the most important one uh, is that the Finding Nemo sequel, Pixar's uh, upcoming sequel, uh, they're doing Monsters University, of course, which is coming out later this year. That's a prequel, yep. And it's long been rumoured that we'd have a follow-up to Finding Nemo. This Mm -hmm. one is going to be called, and you can guess the plot almost from the words (laughs) I'm about to say, Finding Dory. No. No way. No way. So cue all your fists shaking to the sky. They've run out of originality. How dare they? How dare they? I own it for some reason emotionally. Um, But yes, Ellen DeGeneres will be back as the absent-minded. Or rather not back. Back and then gone again. Back and then gone again. Yes, it's, it's essentially a... We didn't know much about Dory and her family and where she came from. So it's Neither kind of, did she. So Albert Brooks is going to be Marlin once more. And there's no official time when we can expect it, but it is official that it will be happening. And it will be involving presumably Dory getting lost and uh, Marlin stepping up to the plate and, um, and finding her. How do you guys feel about it? I liked Finding Nemo. It's not, it's not up there with my, with my favourite Pixar films, but, uh, but I think it's very good. It's a lot of fun. Look, kids love it. It's got fish in it. What do you want? Yeah, I mean, I just hope that there's an actual. Uh, I hope there's a story there. I hope they've, you know, there's a reason to make this film other than financial and merchandising. Yeah. I would, you know, which they're, I, they're not going to. Well, you, you say that Cars Two yeah. has, in some ways, tarnished. But you know, Toy Story Two, Toy Story Three, Toy Story Three was great. Um, I've got high hopes for Monsters University, but yeah, there's there's a sense that I don't know would Andrew Stanton have done this movie had John Carter been a huge hit? I'm not so sure. You know, so hopefully there's a there's a, a good reason for everybody involved to make this movie. Um, and, you know, I hope that Pixar don't go down the route of sequelizing everything. I think obviously they won't. I imagine we won't see a sequel to Bugs Life. But please, 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 please leave up alone. Just leave it alone. But then if they did a Wally sequel, they could do a third film. We'll call it Wall 3. That's well, a good that's, point. That's so a good that's, reason. That's yeah. probably worth doing. But while we're, while we're in the, the House of Mouse, I just want to mention that have a moment of silence for the death of LucasArts, which is, I thought, quite an upsetting thing to hear that um, Disney have, uh, have essentially closed that. Now they've bought, obviously, Lucasfilm and everything that it, that entails. They've uh, decided to close down the development arm of LucasArts, which obviously made some pretty influential games. Right now, James, um, you and Ali are gamers. We are. Uh, the game that's glued to my Xbox is FIFA. They did, not make FIFA. they did not make no, FIFA. No, they did not make FIFA. I believe so, they were heavily involved in the inspiration behind FIFA. Really? But, uh, but not directly involved in the production okay. of it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're best known for their, their, their adventure games, uh, which got quite the legacy of, you know, from Loom to Maniac Mansion today, the tentacle. Uh, Guybrush Threepwood, the star of Secret of Monkey Island, uh, obviously originates with LucasArts, although Telltale Games did the more recent ones. Um, Grim Fandango, which is a phenomenal adventure game. Maybe one of my favourite games of all time is Grim Fandango, which yeah. is a point-and-click adventure, kind of 3D-based. Uh, it's a murder mystery noir set in the land of the dead. Yeah, with a heavy Mexican theme. And it's as amazing as that sounds. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. Obviously, they've done lots of other games. They've done an awful lot of Star Wars games. That's not to say they're not going to be doing games anymore. They are, but they're not going to be creating... It's going to be a licensing thing. They're going to license games. There will be more Star Wars games. But th- this is... I think even if you're not a gamer, this is an interesting thing because it, it, it sort of feeds into the sort of the machinations of Disney since they bought uh, since they bought Lucasfilm because they've been sort of gradually dis- the last vestiges of the old republic are being swept away. Um, <laughs> they, they they've shut down pretty much everything Star Wars currently in development. Clone Wars has been wrapped up. Yeah. Uh, which is quite upsetting for a lot of people since it was very well received. Um, the Star Wars games, especially Star Wars thirteen thirteen, which is quite a very interesting title, which looks slightly grittier 
sort of bounty hunter based um, and that was possibly going to come out on next generation consoles that they put a pin in that as well and I think the strategy is that Star Wars uh, it's been said that George Lucas has a hard time saying no to things or certainly did in the last few years so Star Wars the brand has become slightly diluted everything from you know Yoda phone to uh, there's a part of me that dies inside uh, every time I see Yoda doing a Vodafone advert Star Wars Connect do you know what I mean it's just like, it seems everything and they've got away from the magic that Star Wars is because it's just absolutely ubiquitous and associated with some quite lame things so rather than weed out just the lame things they seem to have just put a stop to all things Star Wars um, and I think there's two ways to this I think on the one hand they don't want people playing in the pond in any area other than the episode 7 area so nothing Clone Wars nothing this nothing that everything's going to be about the episode 7 timeline uh, I think also maybe they're trying to create a drought. I think yeah. they're trying to they're trying to stop all things Star Wars so people become hungry for it. And then when Episode Seven does come out, if indeed it does come out in 2015, uh, people will be like, "Wow, Star Wars!" and be excited. Did you get a sense from your good friend Clang JJ Abrams that uh, it would be coming out in 2015? At uh, 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 quarter past two, did you get that that sense? It, he didn't unfortunately give me the precise moment that he was planning to finish production uh, when we had our, our, our deep in depth chat as friends as friends do. Uh, but he, um, yeah, but then he's, he's he has said before. <laughs> <laughs> he has said before that he's he's not planning to rush this, and I think he's already started to sort of distance himself from that. From you. From me, <laughs> uh, despite my stalking. Uh, to distance himself from that, yes, it will be out in 2015. You don't want to end up in George R. R. Martin territory, where you get tied to a date and then you're forced to rush something out and do it. And honestly, I'd rather it came out in 2016 if it meant a better film. Um, so let's see. But equally, that means that until then, we may have nothing Star Wars to play with. Which, I don't I was going to say it's a shame, but I'm, I don't watch Clone Wars. I haven't played Star Wars Connect. Or, or Star Wars Angry Birds. Or St- well, No, I downloaded it and I, I kind of didn't get into the it. The little Obi-Wan bird's quite cool. Really? Yeah. Should I keep playing? No, not really. Uh, yeah. uh, so maybe it is good that there's going to be a drought. It's not a bad thing. And it's like I say, it's, just, it's things like the Vodafone stuff. It's just, it, it does water down the brand. It takes away a lot of its impact. Because you remember when The Phantom Menace came out? We all went to see it. And it just blew your mind because Star Wars had been you know, mainly absent for so long that it was just so exciting when Dark Forces the, the sort of Doom clone first person shooter Star Wars game came yeah. out there hadn't been a lot of Star Wars games to watch. you were massively excited just the sound of a Star Wars like blaster mm-hmm. just because you Jedi craved Knights. it yeah. whereas now I mean you know f- between YouTube and adverts and games and everything it's just completely I don't situation. mind honestly I don't mind the other thing I don't you know he's a fictional character I don't think there's any dignity to tarnish there it's for God's sake it's not like he's sold out in any way <laughs> but I do have a problem with it, it fitting into the Star Wars canon it's a long time ago in a galaxy far far away the guy is dead thousands upon maybe even millions of years ago we don't know so how, is, how come he's popping up what, you, what in you're modern saying day is England you would like JJ to address how the, uh, the 12 month rolling <laughs> yeah. contract fits into yes. the mythology of Star Wars I, free what? Wi-Fi on the tube how does this fit in <laughs> 4G this is G4 surely surely uh, yeah. okay. uh, but anyway but going back to the, the Lucas uh, the Lucas thing I, I, this is not really a claim I've been to Lucas Arts and you know it's, it's an amazing place and there's yes thank you uh, and there's, there's just a great legacy there in terms of gaming history and it's you know it is a, it's a real I will miss it the legacy lot. lives on incidentally with Telltale Games who have a lot of the star from the original Lucas Arts period Indeed. that made the scum uh, games, also known as Monkey Island and Sam and Max, and that era okay. of point-and-click adventures, yeah. uh, they did the Back to the Future episode installments and the Walking Dead game, and the Walking Dead game, yeah. which the Office, the I good think, one, not the rubbish, one. universally acclaims as mm-hmm. one of the best things that's uh, that's come out in gaming recently. So, if you yeah. haven't already, check that out. Yes, Telltale Games, a spiritual successor. To I, l- I literally have no patience for games again. 
I'm the only person in the world who played the, the Walking Dead game and gave up after half an hour. Yes, you are. Uh, You've so, got no soul. I've, I, you know, unless you can beat Rotherham 9-0, what's the point? Yeah, that happens in Chapter 5. Does it? Mm. I should carry on playing then. Sure. Okay, anything else? Uh, we've also got the Marvel Phase 2 has released some uh, concept art. Yeah, interesting concept art, I thought. Yeah, interesting concept art. Also, it's interesting how they're releasing things now. It's not just, hey, here are the pictures. It's, hey, we're selling this product, and this product is a repackaged version of all the first phase. Fit the first. I sound like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy guy. Phase 1 movies, so everything from Iron Man through Avengers Assemble and a special new box. Then there were hidden codes within the material and the special edition packaging which allowed you access to these things. Incidentally, we had a bit of this when you download the Star Trek Into Darkness app on your phone and then put it next to the front cover of our latest issue, you get a free image, uh, a secret image that comes through that. So this is something, obviously, that studios are enjoying playing with, having these hidden little <laughs> secrets. <laughs> you looking up, You didn't know that, did I you? I didn't know that, no. Yeah, yeah, just blew your is tiny it, little I just set it up with my close friend J.J. Abrams. Is it you and J.J. at a ball game? It just is. arms around each arms other? Arms around each other, yeah. On Thumbs the Jumbotron. Up. Yeah. 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 It's the kissogram. It's kiss cam, yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, so the art is very interesting. There's a strong Star Wars vibe to Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, you see the the group, the team, Mr. Raccoon. Groot? Rocket Raccoon. Yeah, I don't want to call him Rocket, uh, but no. his first name, I don't know him. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah, there's, there's Groot, there's Star-Lord, there's Drax the Destroyer, yeah. and uh, Gamora, who uh, may be played by Zoe Saldana. She's in talks. Which is interesting because she's purple. In the comics, so are they gonna make Sweet Sedan a purple? Are they not gonna bother with that? I thought she was kind of a dark, silvery green. No, that's um, Drax. All right, Drax is green. Yeah, Drax is green, and the raccoon's just you know furry. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They haven't announced the, the, who's voicing the raccoon yet. Uh, there, were, there was talk of Adam Sandler, wasn't there? It was talk of they wanted to go for a comedian, Adam Sandler or Jim Carrey, someone who would bring it. You know, some because this is Rob essentially Schneider's free. Rob Schneider is free <laughs> and very available, I'm guessing. And uh, yeah, th- this is a comedy, isn't it? I mean, you know, there's going to be huge epicness to it as well. But it, James Gunn has been hired for a reason. Yeah. Um, and I can only presume that I, they're going to go down a, a, a kind of weird cookie. The reason why Chris Pratt has been cast as Star Lord, I guess, because mm. he has comedic chops. So I, I've never got on with Guardians of the Galaxy. I've read quite a number of them, but. It, I, it felt too, I mean it, it ties in and into a lot of the Marvel crossover stuff that the Guardians are involved in but it, it never really sort of rang true I think it was more the raccoon than anything <laughs> kind of distances you slightly from it and it's talk, it's silly to talk about believability and suspension of disbelief when you're discussing superheroes mm. but a talking raccoon with a jetpack is maybe a, a, yeah, a step too far I actually I'm on board with Groot as a concept this kind of tree being uh, who kind of can grow I quite like that but yeah, it doesn't kind of ring my bell. But there's also um, a bunch of other stuff from a Thor, The Dark World. Uh, you can see on the website, EmpireOnline.com, you can see stills uh, from Phase 2 and that part of it. You can see Thor in London. Thor in London, mm-hmm. next to a Red London bus. What number was it? Uh, 81, I have no idea. Did you notice as well, there's a, I haven't seen the picture that big, but there's a fake film on the bus? <laughs> oh, is there? Yes, there it, is. I, yeah. I think it's, um, oh, what's it called? It's called Moral Sacrifice. On the on the on the bus, the film's called Moral Sacrifice. So does that include you know who's who's starring in the film called Moral Sacrifice? Rob in Schneider. The, in the world of the Avengers, <laughs> yes, Rob Schneider is Moral Sacrifice. <laughs> that would be amazing. This really is another world. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is. Uh, yeah, and I like the uh, the the concept art of uh, of the Falcon as well, which is a uh, a character will show up in uh, played by Anthony Mackie in Captain America: The Winter Soldier, mm. and there's also a shot of. Captain America fighting the Winter Soldier, who is Bucky, uh, who's come back from the dead. 
and been rebooted as, as a, people a kind of want a bad to do guy. in the Marvel universe. As people I want to do, but this is the first time it's really happened in the in the Marvel movie verse. Mm. Um, I guess Edge and Coulson's coming back somehow in the Shield TV show, but this is the first time. And obviously, they're, how they're going to how they're going to explain the fact that he died in World War Two and is coming back in the modern day? It's, I'm very very intrigued to see how they, they cover that. Glaciers, glaciers, yes, indeed. Um, I will say just before we move on that it's the Grant National tomorrow. If you listen, it's on Friday. That means it takes place on Saturday every year. Uh, we at Empire find horses that have film connections in their names and tip them yeah we don't know anything about horses they could have three legs for all we know but I'll have a flutter what do you got this year some cracking names Weird Al is a is a horse so obviously Weird Al Yankovic is on the plane yep. <laughs> from uh, Naked Gun How Could You Avoid the 12 to 1 shot at the moment could come in uh, written by A.P. McCoy no less ooh I get some money on that one. Uh, Colbert Station. Okay. Oh, a bit of a Stephen Colbert good, good. reference there. Um, how can we ignore the 66 to one shot? Imagine if you put a fiver in that, we could retire. Uh, Oscar Time. It's a film magazine. It's what's, a horse called Oscar Time. What's the reference? Um, uh, time, In Time, the Justin Timberlake film. That's the one. Uh, about yeah. Time, the Richard Curtis uh, movie yeah, is coming okay, up very soon. Uh, and then, and this is just genius for a magazine called Empire. How can you avoid trained by Nigel Twiston Davies ridden by Sam Twiston Davies 14 to 1 shot horsey number 1 Imperial Commander good get your money on good. Imperial Commander I like that yep I've and put, if it doesn't uh, I've put in, 20 down you put 20 down yeah Do good yeah we may not be here next week uh, <laughs> we may be sitting on a beach earning 20% yeah I put it put it on Rob Schneider <laughs> yeah <laughs> no one will be riding him he'll just be scampering down <laughs> Always better, Rob Schneider. Okay, no thanks, problem. guys. Um. It's not very often we come back in uh, and re-record something for the Empire Podcast, which is usually recorded on Thursday morning. Uh, it is now Friday morning, uh, but the sad news that Roger Ebert, the great film critic, passed away on Thursday evening has brought Ali and myself back uh, because he was... A huge influence on me, uh, Ali, and I, 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 from all reports, uh, seem to be a great, great guy and one of the, the best film journalists and critics I've I've ever read. It's one of those things that, you know, when someone dies, it's not like people say anything nasty about them, of course. Mm. But with Roger Ebert, it just feels like everything that people are saying rings true. I, I feel with a film journalist like Roger Ebert that you really get to know them over the years like personally you really feel for them and you know them and their characters and, and friends in your life and with Roger Ebert I feel that especially like he kind of owned the internet well he was one of the first critics I think uh, besides your Harry Knowles and whatever if you want to call those guys critics which you know big argument about that isn't it uh, but uh, you know Roger Ebert when I first started reading film criticism online, he was still at the Chicago Sun-Times. He was still very much one of the guys who was a pioneer of putting reviews online and writing blogs. And he was so wonderfully witty and eloquent and warm. He was the first film critic to ever win a Pulitzer Prize, which says a lot. And uh, he was such a significant presence, not just in film criticism, but I, I think just as as a as a journalist, as a, as a man in America, that President Obama released a statement mourning his loss, uh, which is just huge. And I can't think of any film critic on the planet who would warrant that treatment um, besides Roger Ebert. It's, it's a very, very, very sad loss. He truly is one of a kind. There's no one like him. There have been tributes all over the internet. I, I felt that James White's 
of it on our site was very touching Mm -hmm. there are many things to be read about him do delve into his back catalogue he says some very funny things in his time I would also seek out uh, Scott Jordan Harris who was um, I think he's at Scott Film Critic on Twitter and he was Roger Ebert's UK correspondent he wrote a very very nice obit in the uh, Telegraph about how he wasn't just a great film critic he was also his friend and he taught him a lot about life and he just seems to have touched everyone whose lives he he's involved with in some way um he was an absolutely hero for me growing up. I read and admire a lot of film critics, but uh, I, I, Roger Ebert was one I came back to time and time and time again. If you can pick up any of his books, then uh, by all means do so. Obviously, there was uh, Siskel and Ebert at the movies, excerpts of which you can see on YouTube. There's some very funny outtakes with uh, Gene Siskel, who's also sadly passed away, and Roger Ebert um, busting each other's balls, shall we say. Uh, while they're not on camera or while they're not being filmed so uh, that's that's fantastic the interesting thing was that he pointed me in the direction I mean he has these books on the great movies he also has these books like entitled things like Your Movie Sucks <laughs> which, which is great he was a very 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 funny writer but he also pointed me in interesting directions I, I would usually pick up a film based solely on a Roger Ebert recommendation and it was always nice whenever he would go out on a limb with the movie for example he really really loved Alex Proyas's Knowing and uh, so do I. And uh, it was great to finally find it and feel like a, I'm not insane. This is not just a bad Nick Cage movie. This is a really bold movie with really big ideas. And I think a lot of people overlook those ideas when, they, when it comes to Knowing. And it was such a relief to find that Roger Ebert gave it four stars, which was his maximum rating, four stars for Knowing. And he also pointed me in the direction of movies like Dark City, another Alex Proyas movie. Uh, and... Uh, you know, he would often have outlandish views. I remember one year he made Babe, Pig in the City, his film of the year. But, you know, you got to love that. If everyone was the same, what sort of universe would that be? Uh, there's a great article. If you, if you have the time, uh, go to Deadspin and type in Roger Ebert's name. I'm sure it's still going to be in the um, homepage. It's got a young writer at the time when he was growing up, emailed Mr. Ebert several times and kind of formed a bond with him uh, as he answered his uh, juvenile questions. Um, I'm being a little unfair. Anyway, check out the piece because it's very, very uh, interesting and it's another side, yet another side of Roger Ebert. And in one of those cruel ironies that life throws up, he had actually uh, written a blog just, I think, the day before he passed away saying I'm going to basically pull back a little bit. Last year was my busiest year ever. He had suffered famously from cancer uh, over the last uh, 10 years or so. He had part of his jaw removed. He could no longer speak. He communicated via computer and notepads, but it still didn't stop his workload or slow him down any. But the cancer sadly returned recently, and he wrote a blog saying he was retiring. Uh, he was, he, it was, what was it, an absence, um, yeah. a leave of presence, a leave of presence. So he'd still be around, and he still had a lot of things he wanted to do and a lot, a lot of things he wanted to accomplish. Um, clearly, like the cancer hit him harder than maybe he had expected, and he passed away just the day after posting that. Uh, it's a very, very sad loss for film journalism. Uh, Roger Ebert, rest in peace. One more interview now before we climb onto our tauntauns because it's effing freezing still. What the hell is going on? And we head home. Uh, Harmony Corrine has been something of a cult figure in filmmaking ever since he wrote the script for Larry Clark's Kids at the age of just 18. 18. What were you doing when you were 18? 
not writing scripts for movies. <laughs> no. Or if you were, they were exceptionally I, bad. Uh, Len Harmony Kareem progressed to direct a series of unconventional, bizarre, and challenging films, including his debut Gummo, Julian Donkey Boy, and Mr. Lonely. All the while, though, he's remained very much off the mainstream radar, but his new movie Spring Breakers may change all that. It is currently sitting pretty in the US top 10. On the surface, it's its most commercial movie yet. Stars Selena Gomez, Vanessa Hudgens, and James Franco in the tale of four girls. Franco does not play one of the four girls who decide to fuel their spring break fantasies by becoming criminals. But the film itself is a very different proposition. It's shimmering, elliptical, quirky, and decidedly uncommercial. Ali and I spoke to Harmony Korine when he came in this very week. Uh, we're delighted to be joined in the pod booth now by Harmony Korine, the director of Spring Breakers. Uh, I have to say, sir, uh, congratulations for what is so far my scene of the year. Which one? The gun yeah. flating or the, the uh, Britney oh, Spears? The gun flating, the Britney Spears. The, oh, yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. Every time around the piano. <laughs> That's a good one, Which yeah. is just amazing, <laughs> amazing. Um, was that always, did that turn out the way you intended it when you wrote the script? Was that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I had I had um, thought about that scene for a while. Uh, I'd wanted to make a, I'd wanted to do that kind of montage sequence for, in some way for the last couple of years with that song specifically and those kind of violent images underneath it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with this movie, it seemed like it was right. It made sense. Mm-hmm. There was this kind of connection to that, you know, to, I, I guess the characters had some type of connection to Britney. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that one really came out. Why that song specifically? <clears throat> I don't know. You know, I, I I'd felt like in some ways that this, this song was a lot like the movie that it had this kind of... Um, like a like a slick surface like this kind of poppy airless sadness to it or something and then underneath it was this kind of pathology and aggression something that was more like uh, a little bit more insane and so it just kind of it just felt right with the movie what sort of re- uh, reactions do you get now? do people come up to you now in the states and are they talking about that scene specifically or are they talking about the the, the you know the James Franco scene as you said but you know yeah this is my shit. Yeah, no, I mean, or, th- yeah, those are definitely like some of the key scenes that people talk about most. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, the reactions seem to be very much about also about the person who watches the film mm-hmm. and like and kind of what they're relating to. Okay, do you find that people are because I, I'll, I'll be completely honest. When I first heard, I didn't know you were involved with Spring Breakers when I first <coughs> read about it. Um, my first thought was, oh, it's a it's a group of ex Disney girls and they go to you know, Spring Break right. and there's there's heists and it's going to be fun and glossy and poppy. And then I heard you were in, you got you were involved, you wrote and directed it. And then I got really interested because I thought, yeah. well, this is not going to be what right. people might be expecting. Right. Uh, was uh, so. At what point did uh, do you find this that's happening now? Are people going into it expecting one thing and then they get this very dark? very trippy movie almost in a way I guess you have people that don't know the people that go see the movie that don't know my films or who I am and stuff you are probably thinking it's going to be like a you know some type of like teen like you know teen romp or something some Disney girl romp you know uh and and so they're probably surprised a little bit um I don't know and then I and then maybe the people that are more familiar with what I do are Mm. are maybe they're surprised too I don't you know I'm not sure it seems to be like it's definitely um it definitely kind of plays with people's expectations a bit. Where did the idea come from? I had been collecting like spring break imagery. Spring break's like this kind of yeah. a phenomenon in America. Yeah, we don't really have it over here. Yeah. yeah. And because the weather, a, I'm guessing. Yeah, the weather, right. <laughs> yeah. It's something that's like every year uh, high school kids are co- and, and college kids go to like Florida or Cancun or something and just destroy the place. For like a week, they just kind of have sex and do drugs and and you know burn the hotels down and just like uh you know 
and then they get back in their car and drive home and pretend like it didn't happen. Right. It's just kind of rite of passage. And so, I mean, when I was growing up, it was just real common. I never thought about it. It was everybody did it. You just, we used to call it Redneck Riviera. Okay. You just get in a car and drive to Florida and just, you know, just do that. And then I, I just thought uh, the last couple of years I've been looking at images from spring break and, and there was something interesting about it. It was just all the it was all these kind of hyper sexualized, hyper violent yeah. subject matter, and then all around it were these kind of like really childlike, um, ki- kid kitty kind of like uh, pop culture indicators. Mm. You know, the Hello Kitty backpacks, the nail yeah. polish, the Mountain Dew bottles, the yeah. the donuts, the kegs, the puke. It was all this kind of inner kind of coded language that I thought was the colors and everything uh, that kind of were interesting and. And so I just uh, I had this idea about girls. I had a picture, just an image, like like pop into my mind about like a bunch of girls in bikinis, robbing like tourists, like fat tourists uh, with guns on mm. the beach. And then that was it. It was just that the, that that kind of simple image. And then I started to like build a narrative around that. What mm. really helps with that for me is obviously your casting. I mean, you somehow I I, I want to know how you did it. But you get Selena Gomez in, who who had her break in Barney and Friends, yeah, and she's now in Spring Breakers. Yeah. It's just an extraordinary. <clears throat> it is, yeah, clash completely. Well, I mean, yeah, I still it still like amazes me. Um, <laughs> I I said I, I'm still not exactly sure, you know, it, it because also it wasn't difficult. It was very, you know, it happened pretty immediate. As I was writing the script, I was thinking about who could play these parts and. You were thinking about the dream and what it could be, and uh, I thought just on a you know, and it, it would be something interesting just in a conceptual way of having these girls who are somehow in real life like representative of a kind of pop mythology mm-hmm. and a kind of you know, and are kind of connected to that culture in some ways. And then also, you know, I like the idea of them playing completely against type and expectation. It was exciting, and so I just sent out the script to Selena and Vanessa and Ashley and. And I, and like right away within like a day they were like yeah we'll come audition for you in your living room and I was like what <laughs> and uh, and that's how it happened it was pretty uh, yeah it was pretty immediate how do you get the extras to play ball or was the whole point that they did it was pretty easy I mean in, in America it's not hard yeah I don't know you know it's like it's a very the, the it's a culture of ex this very exhibitionist you know very much like <laughs> living on you know. On display, it's a perform a very performative, you know, performance. Uh, you know, it was it was like a the beach was a stage for a lot of the for a lot of the extras. Um, and that was it. We just would I but you know I spent months and months. We would ca- we would cast like out of fraternities. Uh, you know, uh, we would you know most of them were real spring breakers, uh, um, strip clubs and you know anything for hooters waitresses to you know it was just like uh and then put them all together and just tell them to kind of destroy things and, <laughs> and uh and just get into it once you kind of set it up and put them in locations and 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 kind of get it going then it's pretty much takes care of itself i guess and what about the actresses uh themselves the the the, the main quartet was that a culture shock in any way for for them being thrown into this this maelstrom of of you know people walking you know running around like it would be on a, on a normal spring break I guess yeah definitely it was it was crazy because you know the way I shoot the f- and the and the way and the and the locations that we were working in in Florida places that you know never have f- camera crews there and like um, 
and those girls have so much kind of fanaticism and chaos of these people following them and like you know it was that it was pretty crazy yeah it was like uh mm. but you know it was nuts but you get a sense as well i i, I get a sense in the film that that uh, certainly the likes of Vanessa Hudgens um are very keen to kick back against that Right, that image that they've cultivated over there, you know, which, which hasn't been their, you know, right. their fault. They've had this image thrust upon them, I guess. They seem happy with the, their images. It's not that I think. I mean, I think there's they all. They, I think what it was. I mean, for me, it was, it, it was a. They were. We never really had. They. I never heard them discuss it like that. It was always the characters in the mm. film that they were. They were at a place in their lives. It seemed like that they were wanting to try stuff that was more graphic, more extreme, mm. a different type of acting, a kind of a different type of movie. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it. I think from what I watched, it was just that. It was just like they just went for it. They were just kind of excited, and they just went for it. It's, I always come back to the famous tale of David Cronenberg being offered Beverly Hills Cop mm-hmm. and Flashdance to direct. And so I was wondering if, across your career, has Hollywood ever come up to you with, with weird offers? Have they ever tried to bring you in and, here, what would Harmony Korine's Transformers be like, for yeah. example? Have you ever, you ever had anything like that and you come your way? Uh, no. Not <laughs> Transformers, <laughs> no. <laughs> Probably, like, not on that list for Transformers. <laughs> Michael Bay and then... Uh, I mean, no, I mean, I, you know, yeah, you get, I, I speak to people about certain things in part. Yeah, you get certain things. Nothing like, uh, but no, nothing like that. I mean, if somebody came to me with Transformers, I would do it for sure. I, 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 would, I, would, I would watch it in a heartbeat. I would transform their whole world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd be amazing. But have you ever been offered, say, a conventional thriller, a, a, a you know, no. a movie? A that... conventional, oh, you know, I've got, uh, you know, it's funny because with this movie, I started to get, you know, in the last couple of months and years, like, scripts that are more like that you know uh, uh heistia right 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 so which is interesting it's like funny for me to read them but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know the thing is like movies i mean past the money and stuff with those films it's like you, you spend years of your life on those movies mm. or on any movie so i don't i don't know it's not, it doesn't seem worth it if you're not like really excited by it I just like I don't I just like the idea that you would give three three years of your life to something hmm. that you don't care about no absolutely you have to care about it and yeah. you, you don't make movies to sit atop the uh, the box office but at the same right. time it must be a surreal slightly nice yeah. feeling I guess be looking at the US top 10 at the moment and seeing it's, Spring yeah, Breakers awesome. in there I yeah. can't believe it because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a phenomenon I imagine yeah. Pink Balaclavas are flying off the shelves it is it's, it's <laughs> crazy I'm like what's going on yeah the last couple of weeks there has been pretty intense it's, yeah. it's all yeah it's awesome because usually the films you make are like I make are like people find discover them over the course of like decades yeah. you know it's more of like a you know it's 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 never like an immediate thing. You put them out, and then you know they find themselves in the years after they're played in the theaters. Mm. This is like this one's happened in real time, which is trippy. It's amazing, yeah. and uh, it's finally had your David Letterman ban refocused. Oh uh, right, I yeah. heard about that. Yeah, have you not heard directly from him? That's just the second hand through James. Yeah, Frank no, I haven't. I haven't heard anything from him, but from just from different people yeah <laughs> the band's been lifted whoa I know <laughs> it must be amazing huh um, I've got to ask you about that before we before we let you go because the way David Letterman tells it uh-huh. I'm sure you've heard the story about mm-hmm. why he banned you uh-huh. and uh, Meryl Streep's handbag right is that true you know I've been thinking about this one for, for a while <laughs> and I think it's best just to say that, that like if that's what y- you want to believe then uh-huh. <laughs> go for it you know what I mean I'm not gonna say it's not true I'm not gonna say it is true uh, you know 
it's just uh it's murky <laughs> <laughs> I want to believe it alright go I do for it. it all right brilliant uh, Harmony it's been a pleasure having you in time alright thank and, you uh, and best of luck thank you cheers thank you nice guy very jet lagged and then they left uh, with uh, as they left they gave us uh, a pack of those spring breakers pink ski masks and things but sadly no AK-47s no gold AK-47s yeah. for us to twirl around to our heart's content he didn't leave you any of like Meryl Streep's lipstick or anything <laughs> sadly not sadly not uh, okay on the reviews portion of the pod now and that's start with spring breakers uh, Ali this has been something of a phenomenon something of a phenomenon in the states um, as much as any film is grossed 10 million dollars can be I guess uh, so what do we make of this one of Spring Breakers. Spring Breakers. I I personally have mixed emotions about this because it's a very slick, very stylized, very visually interesting film. It's kind of like someone is throwing Skittles at your face for about 90 minutes. And as far as that goes, I enjoyed it. It's a very bright, candy-coloured type of world mm. where these four okay. girls, one of them who's a good girl, Faith, he's played by Selena Gomez. Yes, gets wrapped up with these three other morally ambiguous YOLO girls who um, who rob a diner and then take the money that they've got to go down to Florida. To Basically, they're, they're, break. They're, they're they want to get out, don't they? You know, they mm. have these these dull dull lives and they they want to go somewhere and have a bit of fun and and you know that's what we're talking about in terms of the American dream and the, the idea of it becoming corrupted. That that's their dream. That's if they go to spring break. Then they're happy. Mm. Their lives are that's that's as good as it ever gets for them. And they certainly are for a good. I think it's about maybe a week or so, maybe half a week. They have the time of their lives. And Kareen goes to town on how how he shoots it. It is all like cleavage shots, people pouring beer over girls' chests. You know, nipples a go go. It is full on hedonism, male and female. Oh yeah, male and female nipples. So whatever floats your boat. The average day in the Empire office. And there are, lo- there are lots of like it feels at times like a music video, um, this regular thumping trance beats. I mean, we talk about Skrillex in the podcast, but that's obviously there. Um, he enjoys kind of hinting towards some dark, sinister thing that's about to come with this loud, repeating, gun loading, click click noise. Mm. So then it progresses, and it's suddenly not so much fun. The girls get arrested and they get trapped in this kind of bail bond with this amazing character called Alien as played by James Franco who is a Florida, white Florida rapper come gangster who has silver shiny teeth grills so Mm. he looks almost like um, Jaws basically from James Bond except he's got dreadlocks uh, and cornrows that go all the way down the back of his head and he, he speaks as you'd expect a Florida gangster rapper to speak. But coming out of James Franco's mouth, it's quite astonishing just to see that he really revels in the role. And if you do take, for me, if you take anything out of this, it's him. He he's extraordinary. Yeah. He, as we discussed, fellates a pistol at one point, <laughs> which is just an absolutely gobsmacking scene. It's got two or three, a little bit like the way you describe the Paperboy. You walk out the Paperboy and just go, "Oh my God, did I just mm. witness that?" Mm. Seeing James Franco fellate a gun is extraordinary. Also, seeing James Franco play a Britney Spears song. Uh, in front of these three girls wearing the face masks you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, as I said, uh, for me, that is my scene of the year. It, you know, it, it just comes out of not nowhere, really. Not nowhere, it's, no. It's a, it's, it's a, it is a little bit of a left field uh, turn in a movie that's almost entirely composed of left field turns. And yes, it's, um, it, it's, it's just baffling and bizarre and funny, and I hope intentionally so uh, because if it is, it's just absolutely genius. The scene where uh, you'll, you'll know, you'll know the scene. It's Britney Spears dancing around the piano, <laughs> wearing pink masks, twirling gold AK forty seven scene, uh, and uh, it's a good Britney song as well. So 
Yeah. Kudos to Harmony Green. And I, I, I had a interesting time with this movie because it shares a lot of DNA with the movie I loathed most last year, Project X. But at the same time, I found this it, cinematically it's on a different planet. He does really, really interesting things. As I said, it's it's it quite elliptical. It's it's very layered, very trance-like at times. Uh, the editing of this movie is very, very interesting. You hear lines of dialogue repeated, not just a click-clack gun gun sound, but um, and it's interesting. It it doesn't revel in the spring break of it all but nor does it judge it it just kind of stands back and, and presents the uh, the offence uh, without comment I would say and uh, it does become a bit of a, a fever nightmare towards the end and it, there are criticisms I think the girls are pretty much a group I don't think any of them particularly stand out they're fine um, Vanessa Hudgens and Ashley Benson are probably the standout in terms of yeah, they go over it. Their their characters have the most to do, I guess. But um, yeah, I don't think this is the most shocking film of the year. Uh, I think some people will say, you, know, like, you can't do that with Disney icons. But now is their time, these Disney icons, to really break away and do something mm. and kind of play with their personas in the public arena. But I think that if you look at this, is not discussing the film. This is discussing the marketing. If you see the posters and the trailers. I think it is pitched as kind of more of a romp, as in, well, hey, look at all these girls having so much fun and getting drunk and eating all these sweets, and it's crazy. They've got Hello Kitty bags and AKs. Ah, ha, ha. It is not that. It is a, like you say, an, a comment-free fever nightmare where they just show something going pretty horribly wrong in the world of gangland Florida mm. over the course of a spring break mm. weekend. And it has quite a surreal, weird, dreamlike ending. It doesn't have a plot in any way, shape, no. or form. It's 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 very much a series of vignettes. But what it does do is it takes a downturn into into darkness. And and there's a lot of comedy in James Franco's character, but it also takes a downturn into darkness. He, I guess, would be analogous to, for example, Ray Liotta's character in Something Wild. Uh, so he turns up, and things start to get very very wrong and dramatic, and uh, uh, culminating in a in a phenomenal, phenomenally staged. Uh, final shootout, which is which is very interesting, I thought, and it, it's it, it. The film looks fantastic. It's well acted. It's got great music, uh, and I had an unexpected blast with it. I'll be honest. Yeah, I think it deserves the four stars in our review. Simon Crook uh, wrote a very good piece about about what he thought about it. Personally, for me, I didn't enjoy it, but I can mm. appreciate that it was a well-made film and had interesting things to say. But I personally, or maybe I'm a bit of a prude, um, but I, I didn't get that much of it. You're actual... not a prude. Well, during this podcast, you've just ripped a red-nosed man in half, so you're clearly you've got some sort of latent tendencies going on. I want to kill someone. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it wasn't for me, but it may yeah. be for you. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, we gave it four stars. I'm more on, on board with that than Ali is, but do go and check it out. It is, I think... The movie to watch this weekend, without a doubt. So that's Spring Breakers. Next up is All Things to All Men, which, sadly, given how much fun Rufus Sewell was, is a film that we'd love to love, but not quite the case, is it? Uh, I made a promise to myself when I walked out the screening of this movie that I wouldn't do a hatchet job on the podcast because I, I actually really, really didn't like it. And I, I kind of resented... And this sounds horrible, but I really wish I hadn't watched it. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I really didn't like it. It made me want to go and wash my brain out by watching Heat or maybe a good episode of The Bill because it, it, it wanted to be The Heat. It so desperately wants to be The Heat. Uh, the Heat. It so desperately wants to be Heat, <laughs> not The Bill. Um, the Heat and Bill. Bill, the movie by Michael Mann. Uh, it unfortunately just doesn't succeed. It's a, 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 I'm trying to explain what it is, right? Copper Parker Sewell gets drawn into some murky business involving a mobster's mall and a bunch of violent Turkish gangsters. 
His path crosses swiftly and violently with a cold eye assassin. This is uh, Toby Stevens and mm-hmm. a veteran criminal, Gabriel Byrne. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now I like all three of those people, but they're yep. all chronically underused and incoherently stringed together as the plots just kind of smash into each other and don't really make any sense. Here are a couple of my thoughts as I left the screening. The sound effects and Foley work were just bizarrely too loud, and I couldn't work out why. People get introduced and then killed, and then other people get introduced, and then you don't understand why they're there, and then they move away in a very quick, sharp, unfathomable fashion. The cops, Sewell plays uh, the slightly morally ambiguous cop uh, who leads this investigation that draws in Toby Stevens and Gabriel Byrne, drives around in this 4x4 this big black 4x4 I've never seen one car have its doors open and closed so many times I think it's easily <laughs> 50 times they drive to a place they get out of the car they get back in the car they drive to another place they have a conversation in the car they have a conversation outside the car then they get back in the car okay. just to give you a taste of how this film feels and I hate to use this word because it's so offensive incompetent is that at one point two men are in the front of a car another man is in the back in the boot tied up right mm-hmm. they drive into the wilderness into a field one guy gets out the front of the car goes back to open up the boot to get out the guy and shoot him the guy inside the boot leaps out kills his attacker turns back to the car the other guy that was in the car isn't there anymore there is no explanation he's just not there (laughs) maybe it's a fever dream again maybe it is a fever dream a lot of films can get away with a lot they just go it's a fever dream it's a fever dream Ah." oh it's all not real Um, unfortunately it just doesn't succeed it has very high aspirations it thinks very highly of itself but unfortunately it just doesn't deliver Two stars we gave all things to all men, so it clearly isn't all things to all men, sadly, but but there you go. But Rufus Sewell was great fun. He's great fun, great and like, fun. like I say, I like all of the actors in it, and they have done great work in the past. They do not do great work in this film, unfortunately, hampered okay. by both a script and slightly strange direction. Uh, well, that is all things to all men. Two stars for that one. Also out this week is uh, Dark Skies, a horror film from Scott Stewart, director of Priest and Legion, which should tell you all you need to know about the movie. Uh, we have the wannabe feel-good Disney film, The Odd Life of Timothy Green, which stars uh, Joel Edgerton and Jennifer Garner. That got three stars. And Christopher Walken and Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, star in the late quartet which got hey can you guess what it got Fortet Three Quet okay Three Quet a late three stars for a, a late quartet um, I haven't seen any of those films but I wonder if Helen O'Hara has let's call her up and find out shall we hello 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 hey how you going hello Helen Sorry, O'Hara hello what's up hello Helen O'Hara this is uh, Chris Hewitt from the Empire Podcast um, we're oh, just we're just calling no. We're Are you just recording me. <laughs> yes. Now, we haven't seen any of the films in this week's podcast. Can you tell us? Um, okay. okay. Have you seen a late quartet? Uh, no. Have you seen the odd life of Timothy Green? Yes. Great. What's it about? Um, it's about a couple who find out that they can't have children, and they write down a list of all the qualities they would wish for in their child, and bury it in the back garden in a sort of ritualistic goodbye to their dream of having a child. But that night, there's a very strange storm, and the next morning, uh, a little boy grows in the garden and appears in, in their house, saying that he's their son, and that's Timothy Green. And it's one of these rather schmaltzy-slash-cute films where a young kid changes the lives of everyone around him. Three stars. Do you agree with that? Uh, I think I wrote that. You wrote that? Yeah. That review? Excellent. That's that's research. And have you seen Dark Skies? <laughs> Dark Skies I have not, I'm afraid, no. All right, Grant. Where are you now, Helen? I am currently in Paris, uh, next to Notre Dame de Paris. 
Bloody hell. Uh, have you been eating any food made by rats? Um, I, I guess all my food has been cooked by rats ever since I got here. Uh, and it's been fabulous. The ratatouille is excellent. Fantastic. As, uh, have any terrorists attacked the Eiffel Tower? Has Superman had to intervene? Basically, everything I know about Paris is comes from Superman 2 and Ratatouille. <laughs> it was okay, actually. Liam Neeson stopped it before Superman could get there. Excellent. That was fine. <laughs> Glad to see it. All right, you're back on next week, aren't you? I will be back there next week, yes. All right, thanks, Helen O'Hara. Bye. Bye. Gosh, she's good. Right, that thank God. Amazing. She has been abducted for breaking embargoes, which is, uh, which is a good thing. And that uh, is pretty much it for this week's Amber podcast we should strongly recommend before we go that you take a listen to our special podcast with the great John Burman which is available now isn't it Ali it is available yes it'll be available by it'll the be time available it comes now. out okay uh, is Eddie Hamilton helping you to edit that one or are you doing it yourself uh, no Lewis Hamilton Lewis Hamilton <laughs> okay uh, it's going to be well worth an hour of your time as the great Mr Burman tells some great stories about great movies and now I've said great enough for one week uh, that is it join us next week for more film related fun when we'll hopefully be restored to a full complement Helen will be back and we'll also be joined by Harvey Dent himself Mr Aaron Eckhart who's coming in to talk about his new movie Olympus Has Fallen and Radagast de Brown aka the 8th Doctor I think it's the 8th Doctor I didn't google it so don't don't send me in any death threats if I got that wrong Mr Sylvester McCoy will also be in the pod booth okay right that's it James say goodbye without name dropping Goodbye from me and JJ Abrams. Oh, for God's sake. Uh, Ali? Goodbye? Goodbye, I guess, yeah. And uh, somebody from me. I'm off to grab a fishing rod and look for Dory. Yum. Yeah.